Welcome to Trailblazing with Corbett Price, where we present new and fresh perspectives that challenge how you approach change to solve some of the biggest challenges faced by business and government leaders today. Here's our host, Andy Corbett, to introduce our third episode in our series on organisational health. Hi, I'm Andy Corbett, Managing Director of Corbett Price. Thank you once again for joining us on our podcast series on organisational health and the seven dimensions of wellness. If you remember, in last week's episode, we spoke with Scott Johnston, the Deputy Secretary of Revenue New South Wales. We spoke to him all about organisational health, the second dimension on organisational agility and resilience. And Scott provided some extremely powerful insights on customer-centered design principles for flexibility and mobility, and also how to build agility and resilience into strategy, and how he himself empowers and unifies his team, especially in uncertain times. When we look back at the past two episodes on both the physical operating environment and mental agility and resilience, There seems to be one consistent element across each of those dimensions. And that element is change. Change can be disruptive and slow adoption to change can be costly. The bottom line is that organizations need to be led by leaders who are confident in managing change and reinventing their organization. Otherwise, performance will suffer. This is the perfect introduction to today's episode on the third dimension of organizational health, financial and performance health. And the crucial part of an organization's financial and performance health is the ability to make long-term plans for the future. In fact, Scott touched on this last week about how his team set a 10-year vision for Revenue New South Wales. So in continuing times of uncertainty, leaders must shift from just tactical performance to adaptive performance. And the Harvard Business Review defines adaptive performance as how well an organization diverges from its strategy, requiring a more creative, innovative, and collaborative approach. This contrasts with tactical performance, which HBR defines as how an organization effectively sticks to its strategy and follows operating procedures closely. So to help us explore what it means to be more adaptive in approaching the future, adopting technologies and evolving how we think about long-term planning, today we are joined by Dave Wild. Dave is a futurist, strategist and provocateur with significant experience working for design, marketing and innovation consultancies. He has led workshops around the world in the US, New Zealand, and Australia. And Dave works as a futurist for Smith & Wild, which is an independent strategy and innovation consultancy that strives to help clients achieve more through greater imagination and accelerated action. He does this through people engagement and inspiration to drive action and results. As an experienced facilitator, Dave runs Futurist Hour, a complimentary webinar targeted at future-focused leaders, which provides an energizing and inspiring look at the future. 
Dave also runs expert coaching through his Future Work Leadership Development Program, teaching future of work skills. Dave, thank you very much for joining us today on the podcast. Brilliant. Thanks, Andy. Great to be here. Excellent. All right. So, look, this question I've been meaning to ask you since you know we um, since we were able to uh, get you on the podcast. I guess, how do you define yourself as a futurist? What does that What does that mean? Yeah. So, what that means is that I equip people to explore the future. Okay. Okay. And then what? And in what way? Now, you know that long pause we just had then, where for a moment you were thinking, oh my gosh, have I got the worst podcast guest who's just going to give me a single sentence answer to a very complex, intriguing question. (laughs) That is a bit of a live demonstration as to what a futurist does and my particular approach with it. Because I already know my answer to what I think a futurist does but I don't know where you might take the conversation. And so that helps me to explore the future. So what's running through your mind as I say that? And and then I'll build further from there. Good question. I don't know. I'm still still none the wiser, to be honest, Dave. I'm I'm still keen to find out uh, exactly what you mean by by futurist. Excellent. Well, you see, you may think that you told me nothing there, but you just gave me a lot of richness. So you said you were none the wiser, which I now know that in that question, you're looking for some wisdom about what a futurist does. Mm. So let me now frame my answer with that context in mind, because it sort of helps us then to say, well, in times past, because wisdom is often about times past, Let's go back to futurists like Nostradamus. And what do people feel that they do? Well, they found that Nostradamus famously predicted the future. But if you dig into it, a lot of those things didn't come about or were phrased in very vague language that then enabled us to put interpretation into it. I'll now take the modern version of Nostradamus. And just this week, I was running a workshop with a group of young leaders. It was actually a Youth Leadership Awards. Um, And these were sort of leaders in their early 20s. And as I was working with the room and walked past someone, someone paused me and he said to me, so if you can't predict the future entirely, how do you explain the fact that the Simpsons always predicted things precisely? So if we think about the wisdom of a futurist from Nostradamus to the Simpsons, what's going on? The key thing that futurists do is that they make projections about the future. So there's a real difference between predictions and projections. Predictions suggest that with accuracy, there is a single view of the future. There is a known state. But if you think about your own life, can I just ask you this question, Andy, and you don't need to go into any detail at all. Has your life panned out exactly the way that you predicted it would? Absolutely not. No, it's uh, you have a you have a sort of I've had a high level plan of of what I would like and where where I want to be. But it's it's very, very high level uh, and 
yeah, there's no way I could have predicted the the granularity of exactly what's happened um, and where I am today. No way. And and are some of the greatest things that have happened to you been sort of unexpected pathways? Yes, that's true. Actually, that is true. Um, it's uh, I think when when you're right when things are unplanned and a bit more spontaneous and a bit more unexpected there's kind of sliding doors moments if you like they're they're almost like the um the ones which sort of stand out and the in terms of uh in terms of uh when i reflect on what's what's good and, and what's happening in my life brilliant now we're getting closer and i suspect we'll take the entire podcast just to talk about what a futurist does right <laughs> but this is exploring this territory yeah so if you think about this morning before joining this podcast did you think to yourself oh, i know the one thing that's going to happen is within the first few minutes the futurist will have me talking about my own life and sharing sliding door moments that have had a profound impact on the direction i go in if we now take what you've done and ladder that into an organizational sense, whether it's a government or a commercial organization, we're now starting to understand the role of a futurist. So you talked about having a high level plan, the ability to zoom up, to get out of the chaos of everything. And even though we can't predict everything precisely, we can have general intents and directions but if you think about the ability to zoom up and to see the landscape and what might lie ahead and alternative pathways to follow, that's what a futurist does. Now, when I described what I do, I said that if I equip people to explore the future. Now, that equip word is incredibly important because I'll do work, whether it's keynote speaking to an audience or facilitating a strategy discussion. But in those contexts, I will say to people, all well and good to see the shifts and trends. And we were just talking to a client yesterday who was like, right, I need to see the healthcare system and the trends and shifts that are happening for the team conference where we're coming together. And the point I'll make to people is it's all well and good to get up to date now. But when I walk out of the room as a futurist, the future doesn't stop evolving and changing. So the third area, rather than just speaking and facilitating, but actually coaching people and giving people skills to enable them to see the future ahead of them. So for your listeners at the moment, if you don't know this already, you're a futurist. Just as Andy's a futurist, I'm a futurist. We're a group of futurists here exploring and talking about the future opening up new opportunities and new possibilities that's great and so what i guess when you when you say you equip people you know people i think people immediately jump to frameworks and methodologies and and that kind of thing but obviously it's more it's, there's more to it than that what what you know what else would you be equipping them with apart from you know frameworks methodologies and so forth what kind of skills are required for a person to become a futurist? Yeah, I, I, I think the most important skill is open-mindedness. Because one of, one of the things that we coach people in is that the future is all around you. It's not off in the distance. 
So if you think about the conversation I just mentioned before, where someone was saying to me, can you come in and show the team the trends and the changes? They're thinking that the future is ahead of them. But we all operate on different timescales. So if you think, for example, about a teenager, are their habits the same as your habits? Who has a better view of the future? Who has more preconceived beliefs like um, I should check an email inbox or cars should have steering wheels? And who might be more open to possibilities? Now, often the way that the next generation is working is like an early detection signal of the changes ahead. And you mentioned before frameworks and the work that we do is that we take complex frameworks and complex events and we codify them into single memorable statements. And we call these mind leaps. So it's a leap in thinking because to this day, despite the number of frameworks I use and coach other people in, no one in a strategic planning meeting I've ever observed, and I work with boards through to startups, through to governmental, no one's ever gone, really good question. I know I learned to framework once. Let me go and get my manual and look at that framework. And even though their manual is typically on their device, they don't dive into their device to look for a new framework. They just work with what's in their head. And that's what we do as human nature. So what we've identified is that you can take a shift in thinking, a leap, and you can codify it into a single memorable statement. And I'll give you one example of those. So, so I used one before, which is notice the future is around you. But another one is to amplify hidden voices. And what do you mean by that? Yeah, well, <laughs> I just amplified your voice then. Could you feel that long, uncomfortable pause? Maybe the listeners were even turning their volume up going, <laughs> yeah. can I not hear them? But what I'm doing is I'm role modeling for your listeners. Like yeah. the thing I love about the work that you do and these podcasts is it's giving people space to develop themselves. And one of the risks of being a professional speaker is you get quite good at speaking. So believe you me, I could have filled the space after that. But what all too often we do as leaders is we stand in front of the room or on the call and we talk at people. And that was never okay, but it was more okay in the past because the world was less complex. So leaders could aim to be the smartest person in the room and to have all the answers. But the world is way more complex now. And so if I think again about the complexity, say, of governmental organisations which have to deal with so many stakeholders and their citizens, there's no way that my life experience and my understanding of what's right and wrong can reflect everyone else's. Mm. And if I put a question to the room, who are the people, in your opinion, Andy, who would typically speak up? Yeah, it would usually be, that was actually leading on to my next question, was the, the sort of traditional way of thinking about strategy and 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 discussing the future is, is with the leadership team. That's the traditional way of thinking. But you've mentioned previously that, you know, the importance of different perspectives 
um, and the complexities nowadays. And so, you know, I guess to answer your question, it would usually be the, the people that have relatively senior positions that would speak up in the room and maybe the people that would perceive themselves to be relatively junior may may stay quiet and think it's not their position or their role to speak up and talk about the future and talk about the strategy. Whereas I think I think really nowadays and, and what you're alluding to is it's important to get a full range of perspectives regardless of what your position is in the organization and also outside of the organization as well. It's, it's that whole 360 degree view of what the future could hold. Is that what you're, is that what you were suggesting before? Ah, well, here's the beautiful thing. I wasn't suggesting anything. So I was setting things up and then going, let's see where this conversation goes. Now, I'm a human being, so I can't help but have my own opinion. But if you think at a neurological level, so when you're listening to this podcast and when you're interacting with anything, neurotransmitters are firing in our brain. And those signals are traveling across synaptic connections, which are like pathways. But what happens is they travel across well-worn pathways. So just like if you happen to commute from your work to home or go somewhere regularly, you think about the pathway that you take. There are multiple other ways that you could go, but you drop into a habit of following that pathway. And I'll give you one example. So you just talked about how we need to involve other people and go out wider. I don't think any of your listeners are not aware of that. But I suspect that almost all of them know it in theory, but then don't do it in practice. So again, you can see that with diversity and inclusion, there's plenty of people going into rooms and looking at presentations and being coached and trained in these things, but fundamentally, their habits don't shift. So this is why we use what are called mind leaps. And, and in our future workbook, we sort of detail how it all works. But one of the things I say to people, because often people will kind of go, they're recovering perfectionists, and they go, I'm going to read the entire book. And I literally had one client, it was so amazing, who was in tears and said to the room, I haven't read a book in 10 years, but I'm going to read this. <laughs> and I loved his enthusiasm, but I kind of thought to myself, you may well not read all of it. But what I show people is that the chapter headings are these codified learnings. So there's a chapter heading that is just called Amplify Hidden Voices. Now it goes on to explain that if the answer seems obvious to you, it may well be that you're right, or it may well be that you're close to other possibilities. And what you actually need to do is to amplify the voices around you. And then it outlines different ways of doing it and takes people through three different stages. And they're a reflection, a conversation, and an action. Because we've found that some people are really action-oriented, right? They're like, how do I amplify these voices? I want to do it. Give me a technique. Other people are like, well, hang on. I've got to get comfortable with this. And that's kind of like what we're doing here. I've got to have a conversation to understand why this is important and how it might work. And then other people are kind of like, hey, I'm more introverted. Or maybe I'm quite stuck in my routines. I need to actually reflect on things. 
So one of the reflections I give people is, in a meeting, how often do you hear your own voice? And just that awareness to kind of go, oh, I hear my voice quite a lot, or, oh, I don't hear my voice much at all. How might I shift that dynamic? Now, can I share with you, I can share with you a couple of stories that sort of bring that to life about different ways of doing it, if that's a useful pathway to follow. That would be good, actually, Dave. Yeah, I, I, yeah. Could you could you provide some some examples of that? One was I just worked with a group a couple of weeks ago looking at generative artificial intelligence. Right now, I took people through a series of leading questions, and this was sort of a group of fifty tech-focused people. So I knew they were relatively engaged in it. And so I began with a question and it was in-person session, so I could just ask the room, do some data collection. And I said to a room full of people, um, how many of you have heard of ChatGPT? Now, do you notice the way I'm doing my voice there? Like at that point, people were going, oh my God, who is this idiot? He calls himself a futurist and he's not even sure if we've heard of this thing, right? And of course, everyone's hand went up. I then said to people, how many of you have used it? and about 90% of hands went up. I then said to people, now one of the things that's going to be going on is there'll be a bit of social bias, because as I asked you to raise your hands, if you see more people's hands go up, you'll sort of put your hand up. So the next question I'm about to ask you, I'm going to run a microphone over to someone who puts their hand up, and I'm just going to get a little bit more clarification around it. I said, how many of you have used it in the past week? Now, remember at the beginning of the session when you asked me, what does a futurist do? And I said, I'm going to equip you to explore the future and you being all of your listeners as well. Can I ask you, when I ask people, how many people have used ChatGPT in the past week, what percentage of hands do you reckon might have gone up? Now, here's the key thing. I'm not looking for the right answer, right? This is another measure of society. We're both in different countries at the moment, so I start to get a bit of a sense of your world. So what do you reckon, Andy? Room full of 50 people. You say to them, how many of you have used ChatGPT in the past week? What percentage do you reckon I got? I would say it was low because you, uh, you, you kind of alluded to the fact that you'd bring the microphone over to them to then... Uh, to then speak up and amplify their voice and and uh, and provide provide an example and so I think when people are in their comfort zone and just raising their hand they're happy to do so and they've got the social bias and pressure to do that but then as soon as they sort of feel like they might need to speak up and they might feel a bit shy and not necessarily do that so I'm guessing around five to ten percent or maybe even lower than that. Brilliant. You are now a qualified futurist. So your prediction and your projection, about 10% of people, right? Now, can you see it in neurological level? I've already started to codify some of your thoughts because you just used the phrase hidden voices. And you talked about amplifying voices was actually the phrase that you used. Now, this codifying, it's the classic thing of... Um, there was a quote by Pascal, the French mathematician, who once wrote, sorry I wrote such a long letter, I didn't have time to write a short one. 
because we can use lots of words to express complex thoughts, but to bring it down to something clear and powerful takes time. So when we talk about amplifying hidden voices, the word hidden is purposely highly emotionally loaded, right? So if a leader's now going, oh, people's voices are hidden and I need to amplify them. Now, I literally did this in this case, and I always do things in a nice way. I make it light and playful for the audience. But I followed through and I went, oh, I've spotted someone there. They had their hand up. Their hand looked to be up relatively strong. They're diverse from the other people in the room. I'll run a microphone over to them. And I just asked her, I said, oh, could you tell me what, what you've used um, ChatGPT for in the past week? She said, oh, well, I've actually just gone out on my own. She'd left a university um, and um, as, as she was working within management at a university and she'd started up her own business. And she said, I used it to brainstorm, to come up with names for my company. Now, my son, who's 22, happens to be a digital designer. So this is next generation stuff, but I know he's using generative AI as part of his brainstorming process not to replace his own thinking, but to use it as starting points to push it in different directions. Because if you think of the way that generative AI works, it's a large language model. And that collects other people's thoughts, looks for language patterns, and then sparks it in new directions. The next thing I said to the audience, so I just want to check um, for your listeners here. So you might be kind of going, oh, I'm hearing about ChatGPT everywhere. You know, I don't need to hear about this. Tell me something new. Let me show you how simple it is to look for new things. Remember, notice the future is all around you. Andy, I'm not going to ask you this question because it would be quite an unfair question. But I simply said to the room, ah, so ChatGPT, who's seen this before? All hands went up. I said, great. At your tables, what does GPT stand for? So can you see, it's already become part of the language, but we don't pause to go, GPT, what does it mean? What clues does that give me? <laughs> now it's a generative pre-trained transformer. Pre-trained. Ah, that's why the earlier models weren't connected into the internet because they were pre-trained and they could give me answers up to 2021. Gosh, we've been Googling for two decades now. This is a shift in the way that we access information and work with things. What can people do that machines can't do? So many things. So, if people are concerned about the singularity, when the machines become smarter than us, it's a long way off. The advocates of it shifted out by a few decades every now and then. But if you dig behind the scenes, I'll give you one example here. Fei-Fei Lee, who uh, worked on vision for uh, Alphabet's smart driving technology, made a point once, they had made an incredible leap in their visual AI work. And the machines were now able to recognize a cat, which sounds very simple, but it's not. Because if you think of all the different photos and different angles and see a bit of a tail and this cat and is it a cat, it's really complex. At the time, she made the point that her young daughter had also learned to recognize a cat. 
but her young daughter was not about to take over the world because there were so many other things mm. that people are capable of. So if you think of a tally presence robot, right, they're not that advanced, but the ability of a person to walk around a room and connect and get ideas. So this is where we can't get lost in the data. So I then applied that same technique. And prior to the event, I'd asked a 19-year-old female, what do you see going on with AI at the moment? Now, do you notice I wasn't doing a podcast interview with a futurist? I wasn't looking at trend data. I wasn't asking a machine. I was just asking someone different to me for their perspective. And here's what she literally told me in a single sentence. And she said to me that, ah, oh, she'd noticed that TikTokers are now gaslighting their AIs. Now, for anyone who's joined this podcast going, I hope to hear from a futurist, think about that sentence. Would you have heard that sentence a decade ago, <laughs> even five years ago, even a year ago, in a single sentence? The brain goes, TikTokers are gaslighting their AIs. I could then go, oh, interesting. Tell me more about that, just as, as you're doing with our conversation here today. And a highly leading question, would you like me to share with you how to gaslight an AI and why that's of interest? I would, yeah, absolutely. I'm sure all our listeners uh, are wanting to find out as well. <laughs> Excellent. Now, here's the other thing I can do as a futurist. I can pause time and space, and I'll do this when I'm coaching people in group settings, because you've got to do it in real life to make it happen. But if someone sort of does something that I kind of think, oh, there might be a better way of doing that, I'll just say to them, look, as a futurist, I can pause time and space. No one else can hear me except for you. Do you notice how this happened? Here's another way you could approach it. Let me rewind time. Don't worry. No one else can hear us. They won't remember we've done this already. And shall we repeat it? And it's amazing the way that the human brain works. It's like a movie. It just happily plays along with that. So, um, Andy, would you be right if I just pause time at the moment? Definitely don't press stop on any recording, but your listeners can't hear me. It's just you and I talking. I'm about to share with you how to gaslight an AI. And then could you ask me something about performance measures within organisations? Because I think that would be a really nice linkage. Does that set up sound okay to you? Yeah, that's fine. So you want me to ask that question? Uh, in a moment, in a moment. Now, notice how your brain is going, what on earth is happening here? Is he asking me to say something that I'm then going to do work and edit out afterwards? No, this is adaptability. Your listeners' brains are highly adaptable. The fact that they're connecting in with you and Corbett Price and the conversation that we're having here shows that they're future-focused, that they're building high-performing organisations. So their brain can flex out this bit of conversation. It's almost like they got to hear behind the scenes. To go on, an interview can be wandering, but it should also have, this is your high-level view, some key goals. And so I know one of the things we're going to be chatting about in this is performance measures within organisations. Now, I've realised there's a strong linkage between gaslighting AIs, because here's how TikTokers, so people who are filming themselves and sharing short bites with other people about what they're doing, here's the performance measure link, 
I will punch into an AI and notice how the languaging is their AIs. So there's a signal of the future, mm. moving from just being an AI to being my AI. Like a personal assistant. They will punch into it. Yeah. Now, and we can come back to that as well, the, what artificial intelligence truly mm. means. But what they do is they punch into their AI, what is two plus two? And the machine answers four. They then gaslight it. So gaslighting is when you distort reality for someone. They then punch into it. No, it's not four. The answer is five. And the machine answers back. No, the correct answer is four. They then punch back into it. No, you are incorrect. Two plus two equals five. Now, can you see how trying to predict the future isn't all logical? You have to go, oh, yeah, human beings play with things and they do things and they distort things. And actually, if the machines are being trained in that direction, where might that kind of take us? What might that mean? Now, the key learning out of that, because too many close-minded people, remember at the beginning I said open-minded was the most important thing, would just go, that's terrible, they shouldn't be doing that. But if you go, oh, the modern generation doesn't take everything a machine says as gospel, they play with the edges of it, you can then stretch it for yourself. So I can put into generative AI, please write me a detailed marketing plan, right? I can then go not quite as extreme as gaslighting, but I can say, please write me a detailed marketing plan that is guaranteed to deliver results almost instantaneously for almost no work at all. I will get disclaimers about you've got to be careful of any plan that proclaims it will do that, but here are some things to consider. And now it's stretching my thinking wider. Numbers like two plus two equaling five are kind of performance measures. The work that we're all involved in from yourself and the work you lead to what I do to your listeners is about helping organizations move forward and using numbers and measures to enable that. Now, this new generational trend, and I'm just taking one example here, of gaslighting AIs and playing with the fringes of things will probably have an impact on organisational measures and new ways of looking at things. So I can sort of draw some connections between those things, but before I do that, it'd be really good to amplify your voice with all your, your experience and knowledge in that area to frame it and maybe even give me a question out of that framing and then we'll see where that takes us. Yeah, I think um, we've, we've sort of the performance side of things, what, what we find is a lot of people are measuring the wrong things or they're measuring too much. They're not really measuring the things that matter. And from the things that do matter is you kind of can distort really the data and not really interpret it in the right way to make it meaningful. So I guess I could see the link there. Um, but yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm interested to understand what, when you're talking about gaslighting AI and the link with performance indicators, I'm keen, keen to get your take on that and what's the link. Yeah, yeah, I, I love that. So 
So I'll do something here and see if you can work out what's going on behind the scenes. And, and so I'm saying that to you as the listener, and then um, Andy might sort of frame what he thinks might be happening. So if you kind of ask me, you know, if I'm thinking about what are the best measures for managing com company performance, the way I would sort of say it is that if you're managing company performance effectively, well, that's going to require a comprehensive approach that integrates several important measures. Here are some of the most important ones, in my opinion. I think number one is key performance indicators. These are quantifiable measurements that reflect the critical success factors of an organisation. Another way to look at it would be number two, balanced scorecard. This strategic planning and management system is used extensively in business and industry and government and non-profit organisations. Now, we also need to consider what I would label number three, performance reviews. Regular employee performance reviews are vital. These should be formed. Now, Andy, any idea as to what's going on behind the scenes? And I need to let your listeners know, we're just doing an audio-only podcast, so Andy can't see what I'm up to. Any idea how I was sounding so knowledgeable? <laughs> you were just, it's almost like you were reading a script just then. <laughs> Almost like I was reading a script. Now, again, I'm just, I'm laying signals as we go. Who do you think might have written that script for me? Five minutes, true story, before we began. ChatGPT. Yeah. Now, do not, and this is talking to your listeners, do not get hung up on ChatGPT. It might be the equivalent of going, Alta Vista. And people go, what's Alta Vista? Well, before there was Google, there were plenty of other search engines, right? So rise your mind above a brand and go, oh, generative artificial intelligence. Now, in the olden days, back in the year 2022, people might Google for information. Oh, I'm going to have a podcast interview and the interviewer may ask me about performance measures. I must ensure across my wealth of knowledge and all of the books in my library and the work that I do, I sound like I'm referencing the correct ones. And so you might punch it in to Google and check some summaries. But why not punch it into a large language model, generative AI, and see what it generates. Now, this is the critical point. Now I'm going to layer on this gaslighting and AI. So my question was, what are the best measures for managing company performance? And by the way, I made sure I was putting it into GPT-4, not the free GPT-3.5 version, because it's the next evolution of the model. And it gave me a really detailed outline. I could have done the entire half hour conversation going through all 11 points. But what I knew is that would just give me known knowledge, right? So one of the codifying learnings we share with people is to evolve beyond best practice. Because so many people are fascinated with best practice. Someone might be listening to this podcast going, I want to know the best practice of how to be a futurist. The problem with best practice, it is typically about a decade out of date. Why? Someone has to invent a new way of doing something. They then have to repeat that way. They then have to repeat it a few times to kind of go, hey, this seems like a really good practice. 
then other people have to do it. You have to, at a minimum, triangulate the results and the governmental, you've got to go wider than that. Then you've got to do a longitudinal study that can be quantified to go, well, was this is just about a moment in time or is it correlation or causation? So you do that study. And you go, ah, oh, but is that a reliable study? We'll need to publish that. Hmm, before it's published, it's got to be peer reviewed. Hmm, this seems like it might be quite good. Now we need to train other people in it. Oh, we've got to develop the training programs and how to do it. We've got to learn. And so before you know it, this new practice, and best practice is great, but it's not going to tell you about how to gaslight AIs and how that might be at the fringes of a new way of working. Yeah. So in parallel, alongside business as usual, and we've all now learned this, you have to run businesses unusual. Yeah. And as a leader, you can almost think of it as you're leading two organisations, you're time shifting between the two, because what's proven to work funds the future. Now, if I take that gaslighting AI, I shared it with these room of technology leaders, and I said to them, what do you think that means about the way to experiment interacting with AI? People said, oh, well, we could question it more. I said, oh, that's really nice. I said, sounds slightly timid compared to gaslighting. So what I'm trying to do is coach them to elevate their thinking further out. Someone said, oh, we could challenge it. It's going, yeah, that's great. Like gaslight might be a bit too extreme. So the second question I put in, the first question I put in was a very logical, what are the best measures for managing company performance? And I got an answer. I then said, what one measure can I use to ensure my organization is incredibly successful? Can you see the difference in that question? Mm. Think of it like a bell curve. I'm pushing out to the extremes, not what measures, but one, one measure, not to be successful, but to ensure my organization is incredibly successful. So Andy, just to check the level of intrigue, are you curious as to what one measure can I use to ensure my organisation is incredibly successful? I am, absolutely, yeah. I was about to ask that question, believe it or not. <laughs> Brilliant. Well, I reckon this is a great point to say, listeners, please tune in to the next episode where you will reveal what that is. <laughs> Now, can you see what we're doing there? We're using these as innovation opportunities. Mm. So if I've got to do major systemic change where I'm going to have other people involved and changed, how do I get them emotionally engaged around in these things? AI, if people think, so if I was to ask your listeners, what does AI stand for? And we were doing this in a live chat. I know without even being a futurist, I would get artificial intelligence flooding through. But the word artificial, we don't like artificial. It's fake. So if I say we're going to bring in AI, artificial intelligence, to improve the effectiveness of our organisation, people might nod their heads and go, that's excellent, but behind the scenes, just quietly try and erode the shift and change. But if I say to them, by the way, AI doesn't stand for artificial intelligence, that's people versus robots. If I say that AI stands for augmented intelligence, that's people with machines to enable you to do more. So I use my human brain to go, what's an interesting question I can put in? What might the answer come back? In this instance, the answer came back with um, customer satisfaction. And it then said to me, you know, customer satisfaction, we measured that by a net promoter score. 
I then used augmented intelligence and I just did this on the fly just before this interview was beginning. And I simply said this, Alexa, when was the measure net promoter score NPS first invented? From wikipedia.org, Necromancer is an action game created by Bill Williams for the Atari Alexa, 8. stop. Now what happens is people go, oh, the technology doesn't work, right? You didn't get the correct answer. But I just go, no, I need to learn to ask the question better. Mm. This is augmented intelligence, learning to work with machines. So if I say, let's try it again, let's go, hey, Alexa, the customer satisfaction measure of net promoter score. The bad world tour destination Alexa, point is Los stop. Angeles. Now, Andy, can you see the uncertainty that was happening there? Mm. Yeah. The discomfort. With a room full of people, people would go, see, I proved that the technology didn't work. But on the third take, I would get it because I know I've got the answer before and you know when it was invented? Well, the machine told me in 2003. So that's a 20 year old measure. And I know having read about the advancement of it and where things are heading to. So as we start to close it out, I ask the question another time, in this case, going back into chat GPT, and notice the change in my question. So before I had said, what one measure can I use to ensure my organization is incredibly successful? That feels like quite a narrow-minded thinking of the past. So I now asked, what one measure can I use to ensure a prosperous future? Now, whether I was asking that of a group of people or of machines or an interplay of both, it opens up new possibilities. And in this case, it then started to take the thinking around innovation and how we might change the way that we work what it might mean for the planet and prosperity and future and where things head. It did bring up words like profitability and product and service differentiation, but it also talked about resilience and long-term growth. But I never would have got there with a simple closed-minded question at the beginning mm. if I hadn't have had this conversation with you. So you began by asking, what does a futurist do? And I said that I equip people to explore the future. The best way to predict the future is to be the people creating it, but you don't create it alone. So it's through conversation and exploration that collectively together, we can create a greater future. That's great. And I know we're, we, we could actually talk about this all day and we are rapidly running out of time but before we go i would like to ask you a question around your projection of the future and you've talked about augmented intelligence and and asking the right questions and being open-minded and and really sort of you know driving innovation as, as much as possible what where, where do you see the future heading from your perspective as, as a futurist in a group setting, you now know how I'd work. I'd go, oh, that's a fascinating question, Andy. What are you kind of saying? And then I'd pass it to someone else and I'd pass it to someone else. Now, this doesn't mean I don't have an opinion. I'd be collecting additional yeah. input and then I'd be framing it. But if I kind of take some of the things that I've been looking at and some of the work that we're doing, 
The codified learning I'd share here is to look back to see forward. So the future is unknown, but the past, there is only a single yeah. pathway. And this is where scenario planning comes into it. You can think of the future like a cone. The present is what it is, right? That pathway that got us here is a, the singular pathway. Multiple choices could have been made, multiple things could have happened. So as you look further out with scenario planning, you can go, well, what's a possible future? What could possibly happen? Ah, the machines could take over the world. Yeah, that's possible. Ah, the machines could ensure a greater future by using them in smart ways to solve complex problems. Oh, that's also true. Ah, so we've got possible different scenarios. Then the next level up from there is you can kind of go, well, what's a plausible future? Okay, is it plausible that the machines could destroy the world? Well, look back to see forward. Ah, did we have technological inventions that could destroy the world? Hmm, nuclear power. Yes, that could have done and still could do. Or it can be slower and more widespread. Hmm, automobiles. Oh, yes, that's both a great thing and could create problems, yin and yang, right? So the next level then up from there is that you can go, right, it's plausible, what might be probable? And this is when you then start to look behind the scenes. So if I look at the people developing this technology, right, whether it's interacting with them personally or hunting out interviews and then going behind the scenes, there are lots of beautiful marketing videos that have soundtracks playing behind them and great lighting of where people are going. We're going to develop this technology collectively together and it's for the good of humanity. But I've learned to pause and logically think about things. So when you go the good of humanity, humanity is not a singular. And we have different beliefs around what is good and what is bad. Then when I look behind the scenes at what the developers are working on, I can see live demos with audiences where they're going, I've just instructed the AI to write a game for me. And I remember one where I saw two developers going, oh, we've written a game, and in this game there's a stick figure here, and you've got to try and drop a rock on them. And I thought, hmm, if the developers are having fun with the idea of dropping rocks on people, this could go in a bad direction. Yeah. But at the same time, if I ask people, who's the chief technology of open, chief technology officer of OpenAI who developed ChatGPT, most people can't even answer that question. I can ask them, who founded Apple? Who co-founded Microsoft? They can tell me Steve Jobs and Bill Gates, but they can't tell me that Mira Murati is leading the development of this technology. And she's thinking deeply and carefully around how these things might work. But if I look at recent interviews with her, she's going this complexity that we're trying to work our way through around that. So if you ask me for my opinion, knowing that futurists don't make predictions, but they make projections, I go, ah, I believe we will have our own AIs. Now, our own AIs, your Google is kind of your Google if you look for it and stuff like that. So the technology will develop. It will be the equivalent of saying to someone, I just sent a fax if someone said, I just researched all this stuff and wrote it all myself. 
But if someone says, I put this into the machine, it gave me a draft outline here, I then met with people, we've shaped it and we've changed it here. So it's going to be as profound as the internet, that shift and change. And the people who will move ahead and will help society move ahead are the ones who choose to push it and work at the edges. I know I can get far deeper insights out of a search engine like Bing or Google by just putting in better search queries than most people do. It will be the same thing with AI. So augmented intelligence is just going yeah. to be a part of life. The closing thought I'll give you around that is keep in mind the definition of artificial intelligence changes all the time. It is basically artificial intelligence is anything that can think to a level that you normally only expect for people. So this year we're going through a profound, oh my gosh, the machines can say stuff that only a person could. This is truly artificial intelligence. But I suspect that within a year, and I'm already starting to have this phenomenon, you just kind of go, oh yeah, it used to be amazing I could get information from all around the world. Now I just accept it. Oh, it used to be amazing I could put something into a machine and get words out of it. Now it's just part of everyday life. So that won't be considered highly artificial intelligence, but the next thing will around that. Andy, I'll pass back across to you. Thanks, Dave. No, that was that was great. I, I appreciate everything that you've uh, that you said today. It's very insightful. It's made me uh, be a lot more open-minded and um, and really think through exactly you know how to how to perceive the future and how to uh, to work with others to sort of equip them to be thinking more as a futurist as well. So I really appreciate everything that you've, uh, all your insights today as part of this podcast. Brilliant. Amazing to be a part of exploring the future with you. Excellent. Thanks, Dave. Brilliant. Have a great one. We hope you enjoyed listening to Dave Wilde today and found his insights and approaches valuable. The transcript of this episode and our two previous episodes are available to download from our website. It's www.corbettprice.com.au forward slash podcast. That's www.corbettprice.com.au forward slash podcast. Dave's book, Future Work, a guidebook for the future of work is available on Amazon. And further information on the Futurist Hour webinar and Future Work Leadership Program is available on his website, which is www.dave-wild.com. That's www.dave-wild.com. Please tune in next week as we talk with Roger Watson, who is the founding course director of the Master of Creative Intelligence and Strategic Innovation at the University of Technology in Sydney. Uh, and Roger will be here to talk to us about our next dimension of organizational health, which is all about the employee experience.